Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monoreal Radio, episode number 270. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And we are joined by a very special guest today. If there is anybody out there that is the most qualified to talk about the Haunted Mansion, it is Mason himself, the producer, the host of the Grimm podcast, which is like, it's it's so interesting. This We're going to talk all about it, but like, when I think podcast, I think always think like talk radio right but it, it he does like episodic theater of the mind it's, it's brilliant unbelievable and it's so well produced mason welcome to monoreal radio hey thank you so much i'm glad to be here so we have a couple of questions for you uh for those who are not familiar and if not they should be with your mr unofficial tiktok that's how yeah. i found you uh i came for the mrs nesbitt sweatshirt <laughs> Stayed for your unbelievable reviews uh, when you were doing the Disney 100 and going through the animated films. And I yeah. just love all of your Haunted Mansion content and deep dives. So I definitely want to know about that. Um, first and foremost, where did you get the sweatshirt? Because I, I have to buy one for Sean. So, so <laughs> that's kind of the tragedy of, of like the secret tragedy of this sweater. It was the last thing I bought from my local Disney store before they closed up and it no. I got it on clearance. So it was it was like, you know, ten bucks luckily, but I was like I put it on when I got home and I was like, oh, oh, this is like this is important this this is me. So <laughs> <laughs> so uh, um and that was honestly I think that was like one of the second well like one of the first few TikToks I made was me getting that and just saying how irresponsible I am with, with my money. And <laughs> it like blew up a little bit or, uh, you know, relative to like, you know, the 10 views I was getting. So I was like, Oh, Oh, this is like a thing. So I've made it my thing. Um, and then, yeah, I just, I got into wearing a bunch of wacky sweaters and kind of showcasing uh, different Disney fashion, as it were. <laughs> Love it. You wear it well. I appreciate you wearing listeners. You're not going to be able to see this, unfortunately, but um Mason is wearing a Haunted Mansion button down today. And it's got, I see Leota on there. I see the hitchhiking ghost. It's got okay, everything you get, you'd want. Ready. Get that. You get, yeah. Is it, yeah. A, is it a Roosevelt? No. Like um, a friend got this for me this past Christmas. This is the first time I get, I've been able to wear it. Um, a friend got it. I think it's just off of Etsy. And um, yeah, I love it. I have, I don't, I missed out on the Roosevelts. Um, uh, but I... Oh, I have one. I have a really good uh, other kind of tiki sort of Haunted Mansion shirt um, by this artist. And I'm forgetting it off the top of my head, but they do all this kind of tiki style art. And it's really cool. But I wanted to I wanted to debut this one. It felt felt nice. So, yeah, I feel honored that you're debuting it with us. <laughs> um, so tell us a little bit about your Haunted Mansion fandom, um, your thoughts on the 2003 Eddie Murphy version, your thoughts on Muppets, um, yeah. and how that translated to your TikTok, which eventually got you to the premiere mm -hmm. of 2023's Haunted Mansion. Because I just love the story and how much you love it and embrace it. Um, yeah, so I was a weird kid growing up. 
Um, but I've always been obsessed with uh, the Haunted Mansion ever since I, I like since the time I, I could read. I was up, you know, at all hours in the early days of the internet on DoomBuggies.com, scrolling. I remember that was the first time I ever stayed up past midnight. Um, I remember my parents conked out on the sofa in the family living room and I, you know that was when you had the like the family living room communal co- computer and you know all that you had like windows and stuff and i was just there i stayed up past midnight and my parents were like oh it's so late you you gotta go to bed i'm like i was just sitting here eating mansion stuff it's, it's all cool um <laughs> but yeah i just always have had a fascination with it um it is such a unique attraction a unique experience um uh growing up I, I don't know. There's, I, I think there's like a, just a general spooky vibe that you have growing up in, like the Northeast. I, I, I just, I just find because I live in the South now and you don't have that. There's like nothing spooky. It's just very like mm, whatever. But it's, I don't know. It's played up more. It's played up more growing up, you know, in New Jersey in the '90s. But, um, so yeah, I've just always had a fascination with it. I read constantly about the history. Um, and then I just wanted to share that, um, that passion with people. And then I, I was about a year, maybe a year and a half into doing the TikToks and, you know, I see, I see other people like Straw Hat and stuff like that going to movie premieres and stuff. I'm like, I'm, I'm not about that, but how crazy would it be if I could kind of make it like really go hard on this and actually get there? And, um, and lo and behold, it, you know, it happened. I, I I worked constantly for like two years leading the two years leading up to the film. And um, I developed a friendship with um, the the director, Justin Simeon's production company, um, uh, his head of um, social media, Izzy is just uh, the when I finally got to meet them, they are some of the nicest, most incredible people I've ever met. Um, and the, yeah, I really had a great time develop, developing those relationships and I, I still, um, talk to them every now and then. And, you know, we still like, we follow each other on Instagram and stuff. And every once in a while, like Justin Simeon will like my story. I'm like, Oh, awesome. Cool. So, um, it's wild. And it was, it's just been a journey. Cause I went opening day. I left school early, uh, in 2003, uh, to go see Haunted Mansion, you know, with, with, you know, when that opened up, uh, cause it was so important to me, I finagled a thing where I was writing a book report on the, um, like the junior novelization of the movie. I'm like, Smart. well, I got to see that. I got to see it in <laughs> theaters if I'm going to do this book report. So we got to compare and contrast. So I finagled that, but, um, I, within regards to the previous stuff, I, I have a soft spot for 2003. It is not the best movie. Um, it's not the best haunted mansion film, in my opinion. Um, but there are things that I do admire about it. I love Rick Baker's, uh, work with costuming. Well, Mona May did the costuming, but, um, his work with the makeup and the zombies and all that stuff. Um, I really appreciate the production design. I, I do like that the mansion is kind of a mishmash of both coasts mansions. Um, but the script is is not great. So, <laughs> um, so you know, it could have been way better. But there's just so many weird things in that in that film. Like, why why are we doing that? Now, one thing I did pick up because uh, I did listen through your previous 
you know your your episodes on Haunted Mansion 2003 and um, Muppets uh, Haunted Mansion was Jackie. You kept asking like, why didn't they do Constance? And the big thing with 2003, she didn't exist yet, right. so she didn't come up till 2006. So, but yeah, like it. And you see, you know, when I when I did Grimm, um, she was. I tried to build it all around her, and oh, she's like sure. the whole reason everything, you know, goes, um, goes wrong pretty much. Uh, so, you know, um, I do I do have a soft spot for 2003. I like Muppets Haunted Mansion, but I actually think I like 2003 more, um, just because I I don't know I don't know. There's there's it's very much a product of COVID with a lot of the green screen. There's this weird thing that I always argue with my wife about um, where some of the songs, like audio, sounds like it wasn't processed correctly. And it sounds like, I, I don't know if the term is right, like bit crushed. And it just, I, it always feels like it was very, I, and I don't mean to put down the people who made that because obviously it, it's great. It is good. Um, it's just, it feels very slapped together in a lot of ways that I wish it could have been, maybe it was just a matter of budget and Bob Chapek, you know, just didn't give them the budget they needed, but, um, on brand, on very on brand. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah. So, you know, I, I do enjoy it. It's a fun special. We do watch it every year for Halloween. Um, but then, uh, yeah. And then that of course brings us to today with, uh, today's topic. So, yeah, that's, well, I'm I'm excited to sit and talk about it, not only because I think you are the authority to discuss this with, but also because admittedly, <laughs> when we saw this in theaters, I just like, just flat out, I didn't like this film. I, okay. It wasn't for me. Um, but I remember walking away from it saying, I want, there have been a lot of films that we've discussed for the show where we've watched it the first time and I'm like, oh, that was terrible. And I watch it the second time and I go, well, maybe it wasn't so bad. And by the third time, it's like, no, you know what? Now I pick up what they were laying down. This is definitely a case of I had to watch it through the lens of what it is and not what I wanted it to be. I also think that it was almost unfair because we saw this the same weekend that we saw Barbenheimer. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I Barbenheimer think... is the bane of this movie's existence. It's At true. every turn, it has screwed this movie over. It, it has, it's true. you know, and 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 the thing, like the, it's almost like the film was kind of doomed from the start, right? It, it, what it was up against, the mania that it was up against, and um, you know, we we just talked about uh, the other day, Elemental. Like, Elemental, it seemed like that was doomed, and it kept becoming the little engine that could, and it kept recouping and kept coming back. And I think that because Barbenheimer came out when it did, I don't think this ever got that opportunity no. to do that. But a lot of things to discuss, right? How has the opinion changed? How much have we picked up now versus what we felt when we saw the movie for the first time? That, on top of many other things, is what we are here to discuss today. This episode is sponsored by Fierce Fox Co., designers of handmade silkscreen shirts. Fierce Fox has a t-shirt, tank top, hoodie, or crew neck for every fandom. So whether it's the movies or theme parks, princesses or villains, the MCU or Star Wars, everyone will find something they love. The designs range from subtle quotes from our favorite films to iconic characters we can wear proudly in so many different styles, such as sketchbook and concert tees. Listeners of Monoreal Radio can get a 20% discount using the code Monoreal at checkout. Visit Fierce 
foxco.com to check out all of the collections. Gabby and her son Travis move into an old mansion an hour outside of New Orleans, hoping for a fresh start. When they see the mansion is haunted, they leave, however, are driven back to the home. We meet Ben Mathias, a former astrophysicist who has developed a camera that detects dark matter. He is now a tour guide who is left grief-stricken following the death of his li- uh, wife, Alyssa, who was a ghost tour guide. Father Kent, a priest and exorcist, finds Ben and asks him to photograph the mansion on behalf of Gabby, who is offering uh, $2,000 to prove the existence of ghosts in their home. Ben reluctantly agrees and arrives at the home where Gabby warns him that if he enters, it will change his life forever. But he ignores the warning, takes the money, and enters. Ben's battery on the camera is dead, so he pretends to take photos, as he believes that this is all fake anyway, and tells them that they aren't haunted. He leaves to see that a ghost has followed him home, so he returns to the mansion, where Gabby tells him that the hauntings got worse until they had to return themselves. Father Kent is also in the home as a permanent resident, as he too is haunted. Ben shows them that his camera actually works, so they try to figure out a way to break free of the hauntings, which gets worse after midnight. Ben and Kent head to Tulane to recruit Professor Bruce Davis, but instead steal his blueprints to the mansion as they are trying to protect him from being haunted himself after they find out that he does have a heart condition. They also recruit Harriet, a psychic, to help round out their team. Ben, meanwhile, sets up paranormal detection cameras all over the house. Using documents from Ben, they learn the story of the grief-stricken Master Gracie and the odd deaths of countless people in the house. They discover the seance room where Harriet looks to communicate with Gracie for answers. He sends them a message to speak to Madame Leota, but are interrupted by a mean-spirited ghost. Bruce angrily arrives and enters the home and becomes haunted as well. The angry ghost exposes himself as what we will call the hatbox ghost, and he haunts Ben with a vision of Alyssa, as well as many of the other 999 ghosts that are in the home. Ben then enters the attic and encounters Constance Hatchaway. He eventually escapes with a trunk holding the crystal ball of Madame Leota. Leota, trapped in the ball, tells us how Gracie hired her to communicate with his deceased Eleanor. They held seances every day for a year and flooded the mansion with ghosts. They summon the hatbox ghost who fed on Gracie's grief and trapped Leota in the ball while he looks to trap 1,000 ghosts in the home that will eventually free him. Uh, She tells them to conduct a banishment spell, and they need something that belonged to the hatbox ghost, something that he once possessed. Realizing that each death in the house occurred on a full moon, this means that they only have four days to banish him, as he already has 999 of his thousand happy haunts. Harriet performs a reverse seance to enter the ghost realm, but instead it is Ben who enters and tracks down Gracie, who tells him the powerful hatbox ghost must be stopped or else every soul will be trapped in the house forever. The ghost tells Ben if he helps him, this is the hatbox ghost, that he will give him what he wants. We learn that Alyssa was killed in a car accident, and all he wants is to see her again. The next day, Ben and Bruce go to a sketch artist who reconstructs the hatbox ghost, but with skin, and Bruce recognizes him as the evil Alistair Crump, a wealthy tycoon who killed the party guests of those who had previously turned on him earlier in life. 
His staff eventually turns on him and beheads him in his own home to stop him from continuing his crimes. Crump's former home is now a historic bed and breakfast, so Ben, Travis, and Kent escape the mansion to go there while the rest are trapped by Crump. While touring the Crump home, the ghost, the Mariner ghost, who had previously followed Ben home, arrives and leads them to where Crump's head and hat are hidden. Travis retrieves the hat, and they head back to the mansion. Kent admits that he isn't really a priest and can't do an exorcism, but Ben tells him that they can still do this together as he continues to have faith in Kent. They return to see that Crump has taken over Bruce's body and has tied up Harriet and Gabby. Crump burns the hat that once belonged to himself as the clock strikes midnight on the fourth day. Needing a willing soul to join him, Crump preys on Travis, who wishes to see his father again. Now, we know that Travis has said that he's spoken to his father a couple of times over the course of the film. Turns out his father has passed away. So that becomes the willing soul that Crump needs. Gabby and Ben go to save Travis while Harriet looks for Leota um, as she needs some extra help. And Kent draws away Crump's ghost army so Bruce can retrieve Crump's hat from the fireplace. Harriet frees Leota while uh, Kent gets the ghost army to turn on the abusive Crump. Bruce gives the remaining piece of the hat to Travis, who in turn gives it to Harriet, who sends Crump to his final grave, freeing the other 999 spirits who ultimately decide to remain in the mansion. Ben and Travis return the Mariner ghost to the sea, and Ben decides to pursue a relationship with Gabby. They are now the caretakers in the home looking over the 999 happy haunts. So off the rip, so much more happening here than the 2003 version. Because oh, yeah. this is probably Ooh, one yeah. of the longest plots you've ever broken down. <laughs> like, like <laughs> usually... It's a, not three pages. No, it, this is like MCU Star Wars level dissection of a plot. But th there is an awful lot, and I do like the runtime of this movie, yeah. hanging at about two hours, a, a little bit less. So the pacing is really good. They do jam a lot in, but it's easier to follow watching it, I think, than it is to read it. So let's start with this opening sequence here. I really love the opening voiceover um, where it's saying that death is not an ending but a new beginning because it sort of poses a hypothesis because we're going to see all of our characters learn this. We're going to see them have to process their grief and uh, their faith being tested, whether it's faith uh, as far as Kent's character with the man upstairs or Harriet's faith in herself. Everybody is going to be tested in this way. So I love that they set that up from the beginning. I love that they set that up to from the beginning. I like that similar to the 2003 version, we do, you know, as a parks fan, as an attractions fan, right? That kind of just like tickles your insides with welcome foolish mortals. Like you feel like you are at home. And speaking of feeling like you are at home, something that they did brilliantly here that they completely missed on in the 2003 version is they set the story in New Orleans. So we know especially if you're following the Disneyland version of the ride, that 
this is very much a New Orleans story. I thought that they picked the right setting for that. Well, 2003 is New Orleans. We just don't see the town. The town isn't utilized in the same way that it is here, where it's almost a character in and of itself. Yeah, it's very much, it's so much more immersed in that culture, uh, authentically, authentically so. Um, whereas I feel like the 2003 one, it's just, if it was, if it wasn't for a license plate, you wouldn't really know it. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Uh, and I mean, it worked because that was based in realty, but because you're putting together this ensemble cast here and there's so many different people, I mean, I think that that also speaks to New Orleans too, because it's this mishmash of people coming together. Oh, absolutely. So I love that that's utilized within the ensemble cast. Um, to your point about tickling your insides with scenes from the uh, the attraction, I love how they cut from this portrait of the mansion uh, or this this picture of the mansion rather to the portrait in the bar. Um, and this little meet cute between Ben and Alyssa. I sort of wish that they had held it back though after we see Ben being this drunk cynic um, and then we learn why he is like that because he's looking for her in all of these haunted spaces and carrying on her tours but he can't find her. Um, but otherwise, I think the meet cute is really, really well written. Like I buy these two, I buy the chemistry between them. Um, I think it's just really well done. I I love this scene to start it off. Well, Lakeith Stanfield, I, I, you know, not to, you know, show my hand here. I, I think he is just, he knocks it out of the park in this film. Um, you know, later on with his, with his sort of monologue that he gets later on, uh, is just phenomenal. And, um, I, I think he, it's fun because you can tell he's having fun with it, but he's also taking it seriously, which I think is that, that sweet spot, which is the Haunted Mansion, you know? Absolutely. Um, I also love how we transition here through the opening credits. You've got this walk through New Orleans, which I think perfectly captures both the city and this idea of the quote-unquote swinging wake, because that's really the whole essence of the city. They celebrate their dead. So what better way to incorporate the Haunted Mansion that we know um, through this celebration and the celebration of life, really? Um, the only thing that I bump on a little bit is had they not started tracking the U-Haul in the city, I really would have thought that once we meet, um, Gabby and Travis, that this was a flashback because their wardrobe throws me a little bit. I love it. I think it's incredible, but it doesn't read, I believe they're originally from New York. She was working. Yes. Or her, her mother was originally from New Orleans. They went to New York and then after the father passed away, they came back. But mm-hmm. it doesn't, um, I mean, New York is very eclectic, but to me this reads like a, like a Midwestern because they have like the tie clips and everything. And it looks very period. So that sort of threw me a little bit. Yeah, I, th- I, I don't think you're alone in that. I, for a, you know, while I was doing my crazy theories, I thought that either the film was going to be set in like the seventies yeah. or something for a little bit, just because of how how some of the characters dress. And there there are other people I know that thought there was going to be a reveal that all these, because of how eclectic and different they all dressed, that they were ghosts and were going to figure that out for themselves. So I, I. I appreciate the costume design. I, I do enjoy it. But yeah, I do feel that that it started to set an idea in, in a lot of people's mind that this wasn't modern day uh, throughout. 
Agreed. I thought the same thing. Like, knowing that she's driving the car, and obviously tra uh, 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 Ben has developed this camera, and you see he's got an iPhone on the top of it. I know we're in present day, but that was the exact yeah. thing I thought was these two souls, Travis and Gabby, they've been stuck here for a long time. They're a part of the 999, and they're trying to get set free to go reunite with the father. Because without jumping too far ahead, when they start dropping little hints that uh, Travis is talking to his dad, I kind of figured out in the back of my mind, well, I, I think the father's probably deceased, and we're playing into the idea that yeah. this is a ghost story. I thought that very much that that's where they were going with this. Yeah, I thought that they would have been 98 and 99 and they were looking for the thousand. And if that's if that was all intentional for the trailer so that we would start, you know, the the true the attraction. Oh, yeah. Then yeah. it's brilliant. It's brilliant marketing just by dropping yeah. that subtle little. You know, really, it's just Travis's wardrobe, but it does it does still work. I don't think that that was a dupe for the trailer because it works for the character because oh, yeah. it does pose him as sort of that outsider who's not fitting yeah. in. Uh, I mean, all of them have such rich, uh, rich looks like throughout the film. I, one thing, you know, we're recording this, what, two days after they announce Oscar contenders. And yeah, I'm a super fan and all that stuff. But the costume and the makeup that they did in this film is incredible. And a lot of the stuff is practical. It is. Um, so I, I was a little bummed. I'm like, yeah, I know everyone, you know, especially in that the Oscar stratosphere kind of craps on these sorts of films. But uh, like there's there's a lot of beautiful costume and, and makeup work going on in this film. Absolutely. And I so appreciate that they did everything practical. It's not just the costumes and the makeup. It's also that they really did build us our mansion. Yeah. And they could have relied on CGI. And, you know, there is blue screens like you have to use oh, it yeah. for some of the effects. You're obviously not going to make people fly through the air. But for the most part, it was all practical, even right down to all the chair movements, which I really appreciate. So I love. Yeah. And I think that also comes from Justin Simeon just being like such an Uber fan and having worked in the parks and. Um, I think he like he just gets it from a fan perspective and wanted to carry it out in that way because he knows that like given the chance any of us you know given the situation and the opportunity to direct a movie we'd want to do it practical oh, we, yeah. we want to feel like we stepped out of the doom buggy and started exploring the ride and I think that's what he gives us really well yeah absolutely absolutely so getting into the mansion itself Obviously, yes, set building, it's all there. They start giving us the jump scares, which <laughs> I like. I like that they did up front. Um, what do we think about Constance being the lead here? Um, because I really thought that we were going to sort of go through the ride a little bit before we got to her, especially because she is such a big point later on when we get to the attic. What do we think of her batting lead here? <laughs> Um, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I think it's, I think it's fine. I like that when you first see her, um, manifest, it's, she's almost styled like the old fashioned bride. I kind of liked that. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I think like she is, if you're going to go in for the scares and you're going to want to scare them up front, you're probably going to tap into the attic energy. Um, so I don't think it's terrible that they lead with her. And I mean, technically speaking, we do see her, right, you know, first and foremost in the uh, stretching room, technically. So, um, you know, I, I didn't have too much of a problem with it, no. 
I love the fact that they go for it in terms of scares early on. Yeah. One thing that I really liked about this film from the first time I saw it, and like I said, you know, I was critical of a lot of things the first time, but one of the things that I really liked was that they made it a legitimate scary movie. Yes. Um, I think that they could have done it whimsically like they did in 03, and I think yeah. it would have been fun, but I like that they took a different turn with this. But I think we all knew they were going to take a different turn. Oh, yeah. When you found out who the prospective directors were before they nailed one down, you could kind of see where the the shift in thinking was going to be. I like that they went for it right away. I like that they gave us like a grown-up version of the Haunted Mansion. Um, and I thought that uh, putting Travis in that very precarious situation very early on, because he's so mm -hmm. likable from the moment he comes on screen. Oh, he's fantastic. Like he That is, was yeah. the best character to start haunting. The one thing that I wish that they would have done, and this has stayed consistent, um, as well as the movie is paced, I wish that it would have been a little bit more haunting of him specifically. I wish that Gabby wouldn't have seen it immediately. I wish that they would have played with this idea that, you know, and he's a little kid, so you kind of hate to say it, but I kind of wish that they would have made him kind of the tortured soul a little bit longer. Not that we needed to feel bad for him or feel worse for him, but I wish that it would have been on him. And I think that it would have made for a, a more interesting turn if he would have been going through that on his own and the ghost sort of just back off when it comes to Gabby. Like if Hatbox had been after him the entire time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I, uh, yeah, that, that, I could, I could see that. Yeah, because he's, uh, again, um, that's Chase, Chase Dillon uh, playing Travis. He, he's another, he's just a really talented kid. Um, and I think he's a really well-rounded character. And, like, we'll get into it later, but I definitely, if by some miraculous chance this got a follow-up, I would love to see him more at the forefront of, uh, of it. I agree. I also, what I do like about it, though, is that they didn't do this character a disservice by having him as the kid who is dismissed. That's where I do think it works that Gabby yeah. is seeing the ghost, too, because I think it would have been very easy to write to, you're just seeing things, we need to make this place work, I need to open up my Airbnb, so I just need you to, to you know, rally behind this because it's going to happen to you whether you like it or not. I like that they didn't disrespect him just because he's a kid. And for most of the movie, like, I think that's one of the successes with his whole character arc is that they do treat him like an adult. Like, Ben really tries to bond with him as opposed to... And, and yes, he sort of steps in as that paternal figure, but not in a way that condescends to a child. And I yeah. think that that's an example of how great the writing is in this film. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, so we start to assemble our Motley crew here. Um, I honestly don't love Kent's breaking and entering. I would have really loved to live in a world where Owen Wilson is just chasing him through the streets of New Orleans, like maybe stalking his tours and, and then like plucking him after. Especially because you get that whole comedy bit in the beginning with the carols. Like I would have loved to see Ben just write Father Kent off as another carol and, and you know, like I'm not really into this. 
This is just for the paychecks. I don't really care about the history. But because he's a quote unquote man of the cloth, now Ben sort of can't write him off as easily as he does the carols. Mm-hmm. I, I just would have liked to see it played for comedy a little bit more. It I like his introduction. Um but it does seem a bit rushed that he just enters the apartment. Um, but I thought that what they did do, what I what they did do successfully, is they gave us a lot of backstory in very quick dialogue. I think that they set up the idea that Ben was a well-known uh, astrophysicist, mm-hmm. that he was well-known in that New Orleans community when it came to the paranormal, that he did develop this camera. And, and we obviously know at this point that he's a drunk, right? We've seen it. Um, we know he's a grief-stricken drunk. But I like that they're, they they fleshed him out more without him sitting there over a drink being like, back in my day when I was in my pro-. You know what I'm saying? Like, they don't have him flesh it out. They have his, his reputation has preceded him. And I like when movies do this a lot. I... I actually, yeah, I really like his introduction scene because I think it does a lot more um, on like a second viewing uh, than than people initially realize. I do not like, and this is more of a trope that's become very common in just films in general lately, where everyone's like, do you want to be a hero? That has become, that's like the new thing that everyone's like, what does it, what, what? This is just, this is meaningless words. You know, like, I'm going to be a hero. Like, why? What, what does that mean? Um, <laughs> so that I don't care for. But there's some great setup with the cat, obviously, with, with the cat. Yes. Um, I think he's he's a quirky dude throughout, so I think it sets it, ni- sets it up nicely. But he also, when trying to persuade Ben... Uh, you know, with his whole science background and everything, he brings up Dr. Frankenstein. And he said, you know, he, well, he created a monster. He's like, well, what's one man's monster is another man's great Halloween costume. And then we have the payoff later on that that's he's just in a costume because he sells Halloween costumes. And it's like just this little this little kernel of a, a moment. It's like, oh, that's why he made that comment later on. So I think that's great. I think I, I wish we got a few more moments like that with some of the other characters. But um, one thing I love the the main living cast. I think I love. I just think they play off of each other great. Um, so this isn't against anyone in particular. I do think the cast, the living cast, is a little bloated. I think you could have whittled down one or two just to make it a little bit more compact um, and given us a bit more time with the characters and possibly in turn with the ghosts. Um, but yeah, I think Kent is Kent almost steals the show like throughout the film for me. I couldn't agree with you more because one of my big takeaways too, like, yes, we do need Ben's backstory. Um, and you do need to set up that Kent is a shyster. Um, I would have also liked to see what Gabby and Travis are doing because there is a little bit of a passage of time. So, you're obviously not going to put your kid in harm's way. We've seen you run from the mansion. We know that you you can't stay here, but we don't know why yet. We don't know that they are being haunted until they return, um, which I definitely think works, is that they played off of this idea of the ghost is going to follow you home. It does, and it's going to get you back in there. But I feel like this is where Travis is really developed 
because we see how he's grieving his father, we don't necessarily get that from Gabby. And I sort of needed that moment of, I'll do anything to protect my kid. And that includes lie, cheat, and steal to get people back in here. She's so, and maybe this is because I love Rosario Dawson so much, and I, I just think she seems like the coolest human. Um, I don't necessarily buy from her that she is going to just pay people off to stay in this mansion. Like, I need to see the cutthroat mama bear claws come out, and we don't get that moment. And I think it's because we do focus so much on this beat between uh, Ben and Kent here. I I do think that is one of the big problems is she's very underdeveloped. Um, and I, I do think, yeah, she, she should have been way more prominent. And I feel like she's just sort of dressing for most of the, the film. Something that um, initially I didn't care for, and I'm going to put this out there now, because we've now seen it twice up to this point, right? Uh, or we're gonna we're about to see it the second time. Is that you can sort of freely come and go from the mansion? I liked that in the O three version. Like once they were in, they were in. Like they weren't getting out. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't care for the fact that they could come and go at their leisure. But it wasn't until the like the third viewing of the movie this week where it, like as dumb as this sounds, it clicked with me that we are told on the attraction that a ghost will follow you home. So they did pay off on that, and I like the fact that not only do they pay off on it, but the hauntings got so bad that it does force you back into the house. Like, the first time you see it, it's kind of jarring. I think that that's something that the more you watch it, I think the more that you kind of, like... I I think it, it the more you see it, the more it makes sense. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Because like, I-, I think, you know, it's a co- that's that common trope of like, you're stuck at the haunted house. You know, you have that in a lot of the films, you have it obviously in 2003. Um, this, I think it's clever in using the the lore of the ride to make it so yeah, you can leave, but you're gonna get you're gonna have to go back. So it's you're trapped, but it's not the regular way. It's you're, you're just going to get pulled back every time. So I think I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, that was something I definitely appreciated more over several viewings. I think, you know, 2003 sort of handcuffed themselves because their excuse for not being able to leave was that the roads are flooded because they're out in the swamps. The storm S- has flooded the road. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, you do a great Ramsley. Oh, my goodness. I should have known that you would I do such that. a I great just, Ramsley. I love that quote. It's so silly. <laughs> He really is the best part of that movie. That I will stand (laughs) by. Um, But in order to separate themselves, yeah, they're going to have to figure out a different way to keep them all trapped. And I think that that was the best way to do it, to really lean into this idea of a ghost will follow you home. And I think what this, it speaks to what this film does more successfully than 2003, is that 2003 just tried to put you in the attraction by showing you scenes that you're familiar with. This, like, made us feel like a character in the film. We don't just get to Absolutely. see all of this eye candy that we love from the attraction, but they gave us so much to latch onto as far as being relatable with feelings of grief or feelings of questioning your faith. Um, and I think that that's just another way to reinforce um, putting us back in the ride because that's our takeaway from the ride is that a ghost will follow you. It's the last thing we get besides little Leota 
is, you know, especially after the revamp of the Walt Disney World version. I mean, they literally, it's the coolest thing how they put the hitch, hitchhiking ghost or the, you know, the ghosts in the doom buggy yeah. with you. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I love that they figured out a way to tie that all together. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the first time that Ben gets to the mansion. Uh, something that I knew I liked his initial interaction with them the first time. That he just took the money, that he's sitting there with his camera going... I knew there was something about it that I liked, but I couldn't put my finger on it. Until this past viewing. I, I think I see where this is going. It's because it looks handmade, much like a proton pack. No. But you're getting, but you're on the right course. Mason, Sean will figure out a way to bring up Ghostbusters in every single review. I got my, so. I got my Ecto One model <laughs> right over there, so it's it's all good by me. I actually, I don't know if you know this, but um, the writer of this film wrote Ghostbusters 2016. All right, well that's unforgivable. We're gonna put a pin <laughs> in that and see if she redeems herself by the end. Go ahead, I'm sorry. Um, so he, he, what I liked about this, and it dawned on me yesterday when when I was watching this again, when he's coming in and he's Sham Ben, right? If you remember, you'll Mason, you'll probably remember. I'm not sure that you will. In the '84 Ghostbusters, when Peter goes to Dana's apartment for the first time and he's got the ghost puffer. Uh, yes. And he's just puffing around and she goes, well, are you even using that thing? And he's like, well, I think so. But he's, it's basically a sham. He doesn't know. Cause he doesn't, he doesn't know if he's doing it the right way. You could tell he's not totally in belief of it yet, even though he's seen the ghost at the library to him. It's yeah. a way to make money. That's, yeah. that's how he's going to turn it into a business. Yeah. That was exactly what they did here. And it's brilliantly done. They hate this. Yeah. <laughs> the piano. No, and I do yeah. love that it has that quality. Like, it doesn't look like a proton pack, obviously, but it does in the sense of, like, it looks handmade. Like, there's, I believe, the science behind it, but I also believe that he sort of put this together. It, it's like, yeah. you know, what the Ghostbusters did or, like, the shrink machine in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. It's still got that, like, I'll believe that this functions, but I also believe that you made it. Yeah, and I love – there's, again, the, the mansion nerd. They have the portraits up there yes. of William Gracie, and he's like, so who's that? And she's like, unclear. And I'm like, <laughs> yes, yes. I'm sitting in the theater. I'm like, yes, no, that's perfect. Um, but, yeah, I like I like the – and I never connected the – you know, that, that energy between – Ben kind of going in and then, you know, with Bill Murray, that, but that's like, right. That's right on the nose, I think. And I, and yeah, I really appreciate that. I really like that. And I like that it's subtle and obviously it pays off later, but looking into the backgrounds, cause that was my thing. When we saw this the first time I'm looking in the, at the background for sure. Mm -hmm. Cause I'm looking Absolutely. at where are the Easter eggs, where have they planted? You get the marble busts in the library. You obviously see the stretching room. Uh, mm -hmm. You you know the wallpaper. You see the gargoyles. But the difference between this and 03 is in 03, Eddie Murphy would have walked into the room and be like, oh, look at the gargoyles. And he, it would have been like, yeah, we know. We get it. Like, very heavy-handed. Whereas here, they sort of just let it live naturally exactly. in, its, in its environment. 
the 2003 is a is a comedy movie about like a, a you know a workaholic dad it's that trope and then every couple of minutes they have to like chisel out a little alcove like and then here's this haunted mansion thing right, right and then yes. back to the to the film this is this is a film in this world this is all going on and this is all going on at the same time and, and yeah, uh, yeah, uh, you're absolutely right. I think that also has a lot to do with the way that they framed out these shots. I mean, clearly Justin Simeon like knows the Haunted Mansion. I, I think that goes beyond just being allowed to go in and look and take pictures for reference and, and going with the lights on. Like he, he just truly knows his stuff. And I really like that this allowed us to explore what we already know and bring us closer to it things that we can't necessarily see up close on the ride. This let us explore the space a lot more. So now we're starting to assemble our cast. They're all getting trapped in the house. Um, I love how this is, once we learn that Father Kent is trapped as well, this is probably my favorite comedic line from the movie where he says, I, I wanted, I need the couch because I have a bad back from all the feet I clean in Calcutta. Like that <laughs> is his character in a nutshell. Um, I also really love how when we meet Harriet, she seems kind of shysty, but she's really got the upper hand because she ends up calling them out on, no, you did just meet a Gabby and you're lying to me. Um, so I love that we start towing the line with this character of, can we trust you? Are you a legit medium? Like, what's your deal? Um, and they play with that throughout the rest of the film. I think it's so cool. Yeah. Yeah, but never in a way that we believe that she's a shyster, right? Like we can see that she actually does have that gift and they do pay off on it brilliantly at the end. Um well, that's about, you know, testing the faith. That's that's her whole character arc is she just needs to believe in herself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like the fact that they go to Tulane to go speak to Bruce. I love the fact that you have somebody who is a professor that studies haunted mansions as on the nose as it is. But for that city, it makes sense. If right. it had been and anywhere else, it would have been like, really? Like, just call in Dan Aykroyd at this point. But, <laughs> but the, That would have been fun, too. It would have yeah. been great. Well, it didn't work out so well in Casper. But, it, well, <laughs> but a lot of you. things didn't. <gasps> yeah, I'm not. Don't you dare. Not a fan. Not a fan, but I think I, I think because it it would seem on the nose if you take it out of New Orleans, and for that much, I think it works. Yeah, and I love that they gave him the last name of Davis. Yes, that was fun. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, that Davis was a really Crump. Nice. They they did a oh, really yeah. nice job of oh yeah, of hap tipping those those brilliant Imagineers that brought this, you know that, that they made all of this possible. Right, the one thing that I wish that they didn't do though, because it made no sense to me, mm -hmm. is. They've got him in the classroom. They have him in the, they, they, like, perceivably, like, you could go to his office. Why he brings all of these documents to a hibachi restaurant while he's in his raincoat <laughs> doesn't make any sense. I love the raincoat. I love the raincoat. The raincoat is I great. But it just doesn't, like, it, it's like if Monk went to hibachi and didn't want to get, like, food all over himself, I believe he'd wear a raincoat. But, yeah. It, like, I wish that they would have played up even that a little bit more. It just seems like a very odd setting. Oh, oh, imagine they did go to his office and it was just all nonstop homages to Museum of the Weird. It was just a bunch of artifacts and stuff. You had a candle man. You had all, all that stuff. 
Yeah, or I would have loved to see The Office in a situation where he's like a true crime enthusiast and he's got, you know, pictures up on the wall connected <laughs> by like the red uh, the red rope and everything. Like anything could have worked. But that's what I love so much about his character because everything else or everyone else, they've got something to process, whether it's their grief or their faith. He's kind of the odd one out in that way of he's got nothing to lose. He's an older gentleman and he just wants in like not even necessarily for the adventure because he does have the line at one point where he says, I'm too old to die, which is hysterical because he really does think that he's safe, I guess, because he does have all of this experience and it's like, no, no ghost is going to want me. I'm, I'm useless. Um, but I just love that he's ready to dive in head first for no reason at all. So I have a conspiracy theory. Okay, let's have it. I love it. I have, there's evidence out there and I'm not, because I know there was some reshoots. I've talked with some of the cast. There was some, some reshoots. I think he was supposed to die. He wasn't going to make it out and he was going to become a, a, just a ghost by at the very end because I swear, I don't know where it is now, but I saw a clip where he was full blue and ghostly, very quick. It was a very quick cut. And then I saw that, I was like, huh. And then last night, as a matter of fact, I'm watching a making of short on it, and they're talking about how they do all these effects in camera and stuff, and um, in their climax clothes, uh, wardrobe, um, uh, Lakeith is putting his hand through him, is like running his hand through him, Oh. So I don't think he made, it was originally supposed to make it out of make it back from the, the heart attack. And I think maybe it would have been more of a plot of he doesn't really have anybody at home now in death. He does have a family at this house and stuff. So I don't that's a conspiracy theory. I could be totally wrong, but that's just what I've come to believe. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. Uh, and, and, and and as an aside, um, or in addition to that, I should say, I do wonder, and, you know, you call me a fanboy, whatever, but I'm wondering how much of that had to do with Afterlife. When Egon is a ghost at the end of the... But we know he's a oh, ghost the whole time. I'm wondering, yeah. I'm wondering if oh. that was the original way that this was written, and then Afterlife came out, and they rewrote it and reshot it. Possibly. Possibly. I... Apparently, they did a lot of testing on this film. Um, both, I, I think, you know, Disney ran out a couple, of, but Justin Simeon like really likes to use testing with uh, in his process. So I don't know if that was a decision on him. I don't know if it was a decision on Disney. Like we don't want to see, you know, the, the, these main characters die, um, which I, I don't know. But uh, yeah, that's just I. There's that. I have other theories with how the Hatbox Ghost got developed as a character but i don't know <laughs> <laughs> well we're gonna talk about Hatbox in in a couple of minutes here oh boy because now yeah um because now we've got this whole team assembled in the house right what i absolutely love because i'm i'm obsessed with watching the ghost hunting shows that's like two o'clock in the morning there's nothing else on oh look ghost hunters is on i'll just put it on right or celebrity ghost stories or whatever but <laughs> Um, I love the fact that they took modern day ghost hunting with the cameras, right? Because we've all mm -hmm. seen with the cameras and the infrared and the heat sense and all that. I love that they took that and made this such an integral part of the film when 
when they put the dark matter cameras all over the house. I love the fact that they do that. The, the problem I have with it, though, and this didn't strike me until yesterday, um, and I'm jumping ahead by a few minutes here, um, they discover the seance room, and they go in, yep. mm-hmm. but the camera's already mounted in there. And oh. the uh, security monitors are, too. So I was like, how did Ben rig this when they're only just discovering the seance well, room? Well, there might be a jump there, like a quick time of like a couple minutes of them all of a sudden setting it up. But I, I my thing is, it feels like they do that. They do kind of, they take it from the scientific angle, setting all this up. But as soon as Hatbox Ghost shows up, all of that kind of goes out the window. They don't really, the camera gets broken. They don't really bring any of that angle up again until, like, that's that's it. So I do wish that that kind of stuck around a little bit longer. Um, but at that point, it feels like the more the spiritual Madame Leota going into the ghost realm, that becomes more of how they um, they approach it from then on. Yeah. Speaking of Madame Leota, I want to talk about her because we learn her backstory and how she was brought to the mansion. Um, I, and this might be an unpopular opinion, I actually really like that all of her seances opened the door for all of the ghosts now populating the mansion. I think it works for this version. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I thought that it was smart. Um, I thought Jamie Lee Curtis was was really good too. Uh, we'll talk about cast in a, in a few moments. I, I think that uh, I thought a success of the O three version was I liked Jennifer Tilly as well. Yeah. Um, but I thought that this I thought that that uh, Jamie Lee Curtis did uh, just as fine a job, if if not a better job, because you hired them to play two completely different characters. Oh yeah, you know what I'm saying. One's whimsical, funny tongue-in-cheek the other one is playing it dramatically right Mm -hmm. with you know some tongue-in-cheek in in there um but yeah i thought that her backstory made a lot of sense um there is something though that that has bothered me from the first viewing and it will bother me every viewing holy product placement my thing is (laughs) now here's the deal obviously if you know film you know there's product placement in every movie yeah you know Somebody goes into the refrigerator, they pull out the can of Coke, they make a cup of coffee, they just happen to set down the can of Folgers, right? The U-Haul, but U-Haul, but everybody knows U-Haul's a moving truck, so that like that's pretty well Yeah, in there. that was fine. I it thought. works. That, that was, was fine. more subtle. Um, uh, when, when Harriet goes, uh, I'll invoice you on PayPal, it was like, okay, well, say... Oh, PayPal me. Oh, Venmo me. You know, like that's, oh, Zell me. Like, Vernacular, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. become very natural. But when she goes, write on this pen and paper that I bought at CVS, I was like, I expect this out of Austin Powers. You know what I'm saying? Like when it's intentionally over the top because <laughs> yeah. it's a parody. And yeah. then even later, like when Kent's in the car and like, he slowly takes the Burger King wrapper out and they start talking about <laughs> all of the food that you can get at Burger King. Like, there was not that much fast food placement in Harold and Kumar. You know what I mean? Like, it's so over the top that it, it just took me completely out of it. Okay, so 
On first couple of viewings, I thought so, and it does stand out. But to me, the Yankee Candle is the most egregious one. I actually like the pad in the paper because I feel like this is where we can flip-flop on Harriet with is she legit or is she just making this up as she goes along? Yeah, I think that I agree with the Amazon and the Yankee Candle. There's there's some that are really bad. Um, I think the CVS one is just so stupid, like... I got this. That's like it's this sort of absurdity of the moment of like I'm talking to a ghost here. You know, it's that sort of funny vibe where you like overexplain. Um, but yeah, I yeah, I've I've thought of like what would what would happen if I just take this and pop it and like just cut cut the little little bits of I'm going to Baskin Robbins before she died and stuff like yeah. that. Like, <laughs> what if we just did that? Because you know, I don't know what the whole reasoning for that is. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it, sometimes it's really jarring. It's very jarring. Well, if the reasoning is that they got to do everything or the majority of things practical over CGI, live on Fine. with the product placement. I'll Fine. take it. I'll take it. It is Again, though. Yeah. Yeah. This was Chapek era. So it's totally possible. It totally do- possible. It, it reads like space jam. When Wayne Knight comes into the <laughs> motel room and goes, Come on, come on, Mike, eat your Wheaties, get your Big Mac, throw on your Nikes, like, let's go. Like, it's all just, it's it's a lot. But, um, before, all right, we're going to get to Hatbox in a second, but I think this is kind of a natural place to bring this up, right? Because mm-hmm. we're sitting here talking about the absurdity, and it's very funny. I think one thing for me um, that doesn't, as odd as this sounds, I think for the most part, the one thing that doesn't really work for me in this movie is the comedy. And and I understand that, you know, you get Owen Wilson, you have Tiffany Haddish, you have Danny DeVito. You've got people that are, and even Rosario Dawson, you know, we've seen her do it in Clerks too, right? We know these people can be very funny. Um, And I'm good for some lighthearted moments to break up the scary, but it seemed at times like, you're very much making a quote unquote not a horror film, but you're making a scary, spooky movie, and it seemed like they were trying at times too hard to make it lighthearted. And I kind of wish that they would have dialed back on the comedy, mostly because I think some of the jokes just don't land anyway. No, I think they struck the balance pretty well. There are two jokes I don't care for in this film. Uh, the first is the "it'll cost you." three dollars yeah that's highway robbery like funny on its own but like in the sense of why is she why is she trying to get money like it doesn't make sense in that situation and then the cane i still don't get the cane is it a sexual joke probably is but why why are we going there i don't get it yeah that one kind of stuff and there is one that we have talked about the only joke that we felt truly didn't land uh was when harriet is talking about her childhood dog that popped like a balloon which we were a little shocked to hear in a movie i mean like obviously this is not the haunted mansion that's made for kids but when we saw this in theaters we remember everybody sort of looking around at each other going did she really just should we be laughing like that's the only one that sort of didn't land for me but otherwise i think they really struck that comedy scary balance um Probably, I think this is the best we've seen since, like, a zombie land. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, I think, I, maybe I'm messed up, 
But I did chuckle at the balloon thing because again, it's just the continuation of her not having that filter in front of Travis. Fair. So I I thought it was fine, but I, I again I again I could be a little messed up. <laughs> it it works in service of that storyline. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. earlier we're talking organs on the outside. outside. She's like, he's yeah. nine. She's like, nine's not that young. Like so, like in that case, like it works. But be that as it may, now we get hat box. We'll just let you go. You've been waiting for yeah, this. Yeah, you go. <sighs> okay. So, f- so let's let's talk about the positives here. I actually really like him. You don't know that who's playing it is playing it. It's very, it like he looks great. He looks phenomenal for sure. So, um, and I like the build up to him, uh, especially with when he's getting chased through the region beyond. Like it starts just with him in the distance, and then he got his feet. Just kind of scampering by as he's hiding under the table. And then the head is like, ah! Um, great. Two things. Two things. Um, that I didn't notice until watching tonight. Why does he have a hat box? Uh, take take aside the fact of we know he's the hat box ghost. It's the hat box ghost. You know, like that because he's the hat box ghost. Why in the film does he have a hat box? That's a great question. We know that he gets beheaded. Like, could it but, have been such a form of disrespect that they just they separated and they put his head in a hat box? Yeah, like it could. They could have, have had. His... They could have had it right. Yeah, don't have. Don't use the hat in the in the underground. Right. Just have the head in a hat box, and then it's everything's fixed. Like that's it. Like okay, fine. And then you have to bring the hat box back. That's fine. But that was one little thing. And again, these are. Tremendous nitpicks. Again, I love this film. But, um, and then just, I don't understand his motivation. Like, what's going to happen if he gets the thousandth soul? Like he said, I'll get my revenge. How? What will happen? Because yeah. um, we never, like, it doesn't, like, we don't know if he's in limbo. Like, what? what is it? And, and why that mansion? Well, he can leave. Then he's no longer trapped in the mansion if he gets his thousand. But to Mason's point, that's what got my wheels turning of like, what then? Is it world domination? <laughs> like, he, what cause, after? Because my wife and I, I was like, what's what's happening? She's like, I think he's going to come back to life and be all powerful. I'm like, I think so. That could be it. I, I don't quite know. So is, his motivation is a little muddled. But he looks great. I'm happy he's there. I'm I'm very happy he's there. Um, and again, because both him and Constance weren't around when that first film came out. You know, he was kind of, you know, he was just missing. And then, you know, you have both of these villains now that you can play with. Um, so it was so cool uh, to see him there. I have a, I, I wanted it, him to be played by um, Willem Dafoe. I think he would have been oh. a great Hatbox ghost. Oh my god. I wish we got more time with, with him as a character, honestly. Yeah. There's so much you could do. I don't know that I'm gonna be unable to see Willem Dafoe's uh, Oh that's such great casting. Follow the cold chill running down your <laughs> spine. Like, yeah. come on, that would have been great. But to I, also cut that dish. against like yeah. the humor of something like a boondock saints where he's like, I feel like river dancing, I would have loved that that quality. <laughs> <laughs> to like really play up the the line between the scary and the humor, I think that would have been awesome. Oh yeah, and the way especially the way I I believe cuz again, I do a lot of like l- studies with in regards to how 
where this stuff comes from, historically speaking. I think a lot of his inspiration was drawn from Aleister Crowley, um, which was all into the occult and stuff like that. So I think they, I think that was really clever pulling from like real history to create this new character. Obviously, I'm glad that they, you know, made him crump. Um, but yeah, I, I, I like the take that they had with him. Um, I just, there's a few little blind spots with him that I kind of, um, uh, kind of grind my gears a little bit. Um, the one thing that I have kind of come together with, uh, one of my friends, uh, Skipper, Skipper Melody, if you've seen her on TikTok is we've created this thing where there's this shot where he's sitting around a table doing like the dark magic and stuff. We call that the, the order of the hat box now. So we're like trying to figure out a way to get the hat box in the lore of the film. Like just, all right, this is the order of the hat box. So we're calling it that. So <laughs> no, and I feel like you would have such an easy in with the attic scene, especially because we spent so much time up there finding Leota, which that's something I bump on a little bit too, is like, why did you have her trapped in the attic? I would have much rather seen a build to, if you're looking for the seance room, you also find her with it. So they maybe could have ramped that up a little bit more. But the hat pucks is sort of a given. There's tons of them lying in the well, attic. Well, a big thing, and yeah, I mean, of course, the hat box, the, the idea of the hat box comes from the hat boxes up in the attic. And again, historically, that's that's how that happens. But every, I mean, from, from the mansion's genesis, back from when it was Captain Blood, something important, the truth, the, the key to all the truth is always found in the attic. Okay. So she finds that the Priscilla finds out the captain Gore that, that her husband's captain Gore 2003, they find the key to the chest in the attic. That's going to shows all this, the truth, this, this one, they find her in the attic. She has the, the story. She knows what actually happened. So I think that, and that's, that's more me just like seeing a pattern where there probably isn't one, but I like that. I dig that. Oh no, that's why you're here today for sure. <laughs> I do wish I do wish that we would have had more time with Constance because oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, you know she's so great on the attraction and um I feel like I'm not still I'm not sure how to feel about uh, the Hatbox Ghost being the big bad in this movie especially because to your point Mason they don't really give us a ton of his motivation I think they yeah. give him an outstanding backstory oh, I yeah. think they give him that and like that makes sense but I kind like there are parts of me that wishes that Constance would have been our villain. And there's parts of me that wish that the two of them would have been doing this like in concert together. Well, they sort of do because I feel like she's the last one who wants to help out our living Fair. cast because, you know, he does have a couple of lines with, um, this is the last time you betray me. And, and they do. I, I love how they, injected him into this film as far as all these other ghosts are afraid of them that they yeah. did give the other ghosts you know these are our silly whimsical ghosts that we've grown to love there's a big bad that they're answering to and i think that mm -hmm. that's sort of important but i kind of feel like she's the last one standing as far as uh crump having a hold on her well yeah and you you've listened to grim i you know, which is why I try and connect them in the way I do. I'm not going to get in spoilers, but because because, yeah, I think I think they are they both do serve well as antagonists. And I think it you could have I, I think she could have carried a lot more 
in this film or carried her own, you know, film where she's the central antagonist. Um, I do, I do like to view them as, you know, she's a villain that's very fun and she can, she enjoys, you know, killing and all that stuff. But him as a character, again, in my mind, he's like just the heart of darkness. He, um, if you've watched Adventure Time, She's like the Ice King, where she's like fun and ah, and then he's like the Lich, the Lich King, where he's just devoid of hue. Like he's very serious, and you, it's not good when you're going up against him. I, I, you know, I would like it. I would have liked it if we got, we were able to play with those more and and use her as a character more because there is she has a huge fan base. She moves as much merch as he does, um, <laughs> so like you're kind of. You're kind of shooting yourself in the foot if you don't either save her for an- another one or use her more. Because people are ex- just as excited to see her as, as they are him. And yeah. she's been developed as the character that kills all of her husbands. And I'm not oh, suggesting yeah. that they could have been or should have been married. But w- if, if they're not going to be working together, why wasn't she the one that beheaded him? And that's why she's trapped in the mansion. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's there's a lot that I think you could have done oh, yeah. here. Absolutely, because again, yeah, if they're if they're playing fat, well, I mean, because he doesn't have a, a real background, she could he could have been one of the husbands. Now, obviously, we have all the people going. Well, no, her last her last husband was George Hightower, but again, he doesn't have a name. He right. could have been George Hightower, right? You know, so you could have you could have done that, um, you know, and you could have done that as, as well. I'm glad they're both there, um, and I understand the need to focus on one of them. But yeah, I, I do wish we got a bit more with Constance. That was, I think the biggest thing that, or the, my biggest obstacle personally of throw out the window, what you wanted and just focus on what it is. Like once I got past the exactly lack of Constance of it all, then I appreciated this film so much more. What I really like too is, you know, we're sort of talking about the yin and the yang of the Hatbox Ghost being the spooky one and Constance sort of having a little bit more fun with it. They really do flip it on its head where Crump's story is dissolved into this dinner theater bed and yes. breakfast. Oh, my God. <laughs> this is where, I mean, the best cameos, the most unexpected cameos, the brilliance of utilizing Winona and Dan Levy. And quite frankly, if Disney wanted to do a spinoff series and beat something to death, I would totally be on board for them to do like, like a six parter with these two. (laughs) They can raise my Disney plus price all they want and I will pay it. Just give me more of the two of them and whatever she's doing with her stupid cane. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe not that, but. (laughs) And I lost my mind when they fit in the the Walt Disney World mansion as well. I was like, oh my gosh. No, you did it both. You've put them both in their own worlds. Great. You vaguely allude to that one being like further north, possibly in New York, whatever. Um, So, yeah, I I was so, so excited about that. Um, It. Yeah, I, I think it was I think it was really cool how they were able to make that work. And yeah, I'd love those cameos. Like uh, gripes aside with the cane joke, like yeah, obviously. I like those. I like that it's an actual tourist trap because yes. they're they're searching so badly to get something that belonged to him. And every time they go, Was this crumps? No. And finally with the comb, he's like, then why is it in a glass case? You know, it's like they've <laughs> obviously just 
they've taken this lore, they were smart enough to buy the house, and now they're just filling it with stuff to sell it as an attraction in and of itself. And I didn't real I didn't notice it until until yesterday. When they break away to go find the the hat and the head, um, when Dan Levy is playing the piano, he's playing It's a Small World. You didn't yeah. notice that? No, I didn't. Really? I didn't notice it until... I love that little wing. And to me, the only way that that scene... And he goes, then he goes, no singing. (laughs) (laughs) To me, the only way that that scene could be better is if there was a callback and the two carols ended up on this tour. I would have loved for that Oh my gosh, that actually would have been very funny. Yeah. But otherwise, just bravo. The one cameo, and this is such a niche thing, the one cameo that I've always... That I really wanted in this film was and this is a pull ron howard i wanted ron howard in this movie because he did the story and song uh record of the haunted mansion back in the sick back when the attraction opened it was him i forget the other actress uh but it's them going trapped in the mansion and going through i listen to that regularly i've referenced that directly in in grim um, but it would be so cool if he like showed up or was, you know, drove by the house or was like the nearest neighbor to the mansion in New Orleans. And he said, yeah, I don't like going in there. Like some, some sort of reference like that just as a cameo. But, um, yeah, that's just one thing I wish I could have seen. <laughs> that would have been amazing. And no, and there were so many places you could do it too. Like he could have been a bar patron or like yep. he could have even voiced, um, the ghost that's carving the turkey that ends up chasing hatchet um, man hatchet man yes thank you yeah. um th- there were a lot of places that you could have done it i feel like oh yeah yeah you could have you could have done it again he could have been he could have been one of the a tourist he could have been one of the tour guides at crump manor um but yeah that's just that's just a little thing i've, I've always wanted to see yeah because you had mary lou henner in the very beginning as one of the carols and you know it's a cameo but like She's talented Why? enough. She, like, what? I'm waiting for her to do more. Yeah, yeah. And I'm wondering I, if that's why you don't get the payoff because they couldn't get her another day to do the second appearance. But like, I'm also wondering, like, what is her connection? Like, does she know Justin Simeon? Like, what? Usually, you throw like your friends a cameo like that, or like, yeah, it's like Bruce Campbell in every Sam Raimi film. Exactly. Or yes. to Mason's point, like with the Ron Howard thing, if you know somebody's a fan, like you're gonna let them do it. So I'm yeah. just wondering, like, what her connection is. I I think she has some sort of like like more like obvious. I I think she has some sort of serious connection because they did they went on to family celebrity family feud to promote the film, and she was one of the people who came. So I'm like, why she had like like kind of a cameo, and but you bring okay fine, <laughs> but yeah, I was like I, I I don't get it. I don't. I think she's like cheesing it up a little bit too much for the camera in the film. I think she's like, this was a thing this whole, the whole time. I'm like, why are you looking like that? Why, why are you doing that? But I, I don't know. Maybe she has, maybe they're friends. I, I really don't know. I don't know. There was also a point where I thought she was maybe doing double duty and they had her in a dual role and she was Constance and they just put her under all the makeup. And then I was like, oh, are we seeing these people as living and at like, are they not mirrored as part of the story? Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) 
a lot of people thought that for um uh oh why am I forgetting her name? Winona Ryder. They yes. thought she was gonna be Constance. Yeah. Uh people were I I was for that. I was all about that. Um but uh yeah, it's just it was just that. And again, I you know, uh I I was surprised, you know, how I thought we were gonna get a little bit more of her. For sure. So now we get to the end of the film, right? Um, we get the hat back to the mansion. Uh, Crump has taken the physical body of Bruce. He's tied up Harriet and Gabby. Um, the, the payoff when we find out that uh, Travis's father has passed away, I think for a lot of people it was surprising. I think I figured that out pretty quick. I think the three of us all kind of figured that out pretty quick. Um, but but I, it was clever. It was The way that they sprinkled clever. it, it was very, very well clever. The, the, the brilliance of it is that the whole time you have a very jaded Ben that says, what's the point of living? We all end up dead anyway. So initially he is the, he is the person that you think should be the target. But what it does is it makes... Crump even more cynical and evil than he already was because now he's going to prey on the child like this this works so well because because to its credit and because you know it's a Disney film you're watching it and you are picking up those clues but you're like there's no way there's no way they're gonna and then they do and it's like holy crap they're really going there because I was in the theater and I was two seats down from, I, th I think it was uh, Chase's grandmother at the, Aww. at the premiere. And I was like, Oh, that's one of my regrets. Cause I was so like, kind of like looking all over. Cause I was supposed to meet up with uh, Justin before the film. I was sort of tracking everything that was going on and I wasn't like in the moment, but my wife had a wonderful conversation with her. She was a wonderful lady. <laughs> She's very nice. I but, yeah. love that. I think part of the success of that flip too is like how our eyes are on Ben and he just keeps our attention on him because he does have the big breakdown when he finally reveals how Alyssa died and that it's his regret. So he's kind of, you know, holding up that shiny material for us to focus on the entire time so that we don't realize that he's not the only grieving soul in the house and that Travis was sort of easy prey when it came to that too. Like Bruce was in the sense of like, he's the older man. So I think if he wasn't going to, uh, to go back to the conspiracy theory, if he wasn't going to be the one that got picked off, I think he was ripe for the picking as far as the one being possessed. So I think that that oh, yeah. all worked. Um, but I think that they they really struck a really great balance of keeping our focus on Ben so that it did feel like a twist, whether you saw it coming or not. Yeah. Yeah. And how he's how Hatbox goes. He's like, yeah, he has his evil plan, but he's got backups like he again, it, to, uh, you know, just as you said, Sean, it just makes him so much more sinister and like, you know, that he just has just is ready to go. If you're not ready, I'll take the kid. Yes. You know? Yeah. So how do we feel about how the film actually ends? We're in the graveyard. Harriet and Leota are now working together. And Ben literally... So, like, Harriet, like, banishes Hatbox, but it's not until Ben kicks him from the ledge because he's hanging on to the grave. Um, how do we feel about how all of this kind of concludes? I I, I like it. Uh, it's a little too effecty uh, visually. Um, but 
I, I think it's good. I think it's him facing his grief. Um, and again, I, the one thing I, I do wish is I wish they didn't have like the piano theme when he's thinking about his wife. I, I wish it was just silent and it's him sitting there and then remembering her. And he's like, but I'm not alone. And then, you know, the music can pick back up and everything. I just, you know, I think the, the piano made it, put it a little too on the nose. Like just think about her and, and you'll be fine. I, I like it. I like that, it, you know, the whole thing is overcoming the grief and realizing you have people around you. Um, and uh, I don't know. I, I, I like that. The one thing is I, I don't, there's an inconsistency that Jamie Lee Curtis has with her accent. Uh, she's talking totally normal the first time you like dramatic, like elevated, but the first time you see her and she tells the whole backstory, she's just talking normal. But then the second part where she comes up, she has like a bit more of a, like a, an accent, like a kind of Romanian sort of thing going on. I don't like it's notice. It was noticeable for me. I don't know. But, um, but yeah, I think the way everything wraps up is pretty good. I love the aftermath once everything's wrapped up and it's sort of that time jump. Yes. I like seeing them moved on. I love that it's Halloween. Uh, I love that. I, I don't know. I feel like all, all the characters have rounded out pretty well. I like seeing them all together and they're all living, you know, uh, peace. You know, you're they're cohabitating with the ghosts and everything's good and they're enjoying it because that's a, that's a big issue is the the finale, the the happy ending of the original Haunted Mansion was all the ghosts leaving. I'm like, no, you want the ghosts around. You They want to yeah. hang out. You want to be able to see them. So I, I do like that. I do like that. Um, I definitely agree. Um, especially to your point about things feeling a bit too affecty. And I'm wondering how much that has to do with maybe there was a rewrite at the end of this. And they did have to rely on CGI. Um, so, and, and that was the other thing that I started bumping on a little bit too, was that it wasn't just effecty, it's taking us to places that we're not familiar with. Like, mm -hmm. yes, we know the graveyard from the ride, but it didn't look like what we know from the ride. Like, I would have much rather seen this all go down, like, in the dining room or something. Like, yeah. I feel like that was the only area we didn't really get enough of was the dining room. So I just wanted that, like, one last dose of familiarity. Um, but that's, that's really the only thing that I bump on, um, at all. Cause otherwise I just love where all of these characters land. I think that other than really Gabby's character, because she felt a little bit underdeveloped, the rest of them like really stick the landing and they all grow yeah. because of this. But I do like her happy ending that, okay, she didn't get her bed and breakfast, but she gets the best of both worlds because she got to keep the home. She gets to keep her. 998 spooky friends uh, because Crump is gone now. Um, and she still gets to be a doctor. So I, I think that that's great. But I think, you know, if you're going to have like that ending for her, I think it just could have been punched up as far as like her being a strong female character and, um, you know, just giving her more of a reason of why she wants to stay in this house. And and not carry out her dream of the B and B. I just I I like how it ends. I wish that we would have gotten maybe some more closure with Gracie, because it seems like like Gracie sort mm. of exists so that the Hatbox Ghost can be here. You know, whereas in O three, 
Gracie's the whole movie. In this case, it seems like you were going somewhere with Gracie, and as soon as we got Hatbox and we found out, oh, he's here because of Gracie, it was like, all right, we're done with Gracie now. So, on that, I have had some conversations with people who will remain nameless. Fair. Um, that originally it was not Lakeith who was supposed to kick Hattie into the region beyond. It was going to be Gracie. And then he gets reunited with his wife, who you can see at the table at the very end of the film. Okay. So they get reunited finally. I don't know how I don't know how true that is. Um, again, this is just hearsay, uh, but that is what I have heard, and I think there's a lot of stuff that point to that. So I, I believe it was a re, that was a later reshoot where they they made that because yeah I do think the the one thing I do like did like in two thousand two was the the layout of the graveyard I think it just looked a little bit more like what you do expect from the film with sort of the trees and stuff but this yes. just felt like an open plain yes exactly with with just the headstones um, and we didn't really spend that much time there it was just again it was he had the dream there and that was pretty much it. Um, so yeah, it was sort of a final thing, but yeah, to, I, I agree. I, I think um, Gracie Gracie did deserve a little bit more of a rounded out character, uh, especially at the end. So, on casting characters, let's talk about our casting characters quickly here. Before we talk about them individually, I just want to say, like, this is one of the best ensemble casts of all time. Like, yes. you feel them feeding off of each other. I feel like they were so well bonded um, because it really did come through in those like more lighthearted scenes, like when they're eating breakfast or when they are sort of going around before Ben really pours his heart out about losing Alyssa. Um, you just felt the camaraderie, which I really liked. Absolutely. You can tell everybody wants to be there. Yeah, for sure. So yeah. Lakeith Stanfield plays Ben and I mean, he's, He's outstanding. I love the character. I love his motivation. I love his character arc. Everything about it was just spectacular. Yeah. yeah just well-written character, and he just leveled it up with the performance. He's great. Yeah, I can't, I can't say enough good things about, about his performance in this film. Um, and he takes the whole thing up just a, a whole other level. I think if it was anybody, if it was anybody else... Um, I, I don't think the film would have hit the way it did. Rosario Dawson plays Gabby. Um, I like Rosario Dawson in basically everything that she's been mm -hmm. in. She's extraordinarily talented, and she is good in this film, but as I think we've mentioned, um, the character itself just seems a little half-baked. I agree. Love her. Yeah. It's through no fault of hers. Um, I just would have liked to see... I, I think just like a little... A couple of added lines... Um, I don't even think it would have taken a full scene. Just like, let's see the mama bear come out a little bit more and it would have punched up the character a bit. Yep. I agree. Chase Dillon plays Travis, a scene stealer. I absolutely love this kid. Uh, I think that he's incredible. I think that his delivery, his performance, like he's funny when he has to be funny. He's sad when he has to be sad. Like the kid, he just, he's got it. This kid's got it. It's amazing how he did not get lost in the shuffle of all this star power and completely stands on his own. Oh, absolutely. He totally ho holds his own. Um, I, I hope 
that you know he has an incredible career because I mean this is a this is a heck of a uh, I know he's had other he's done some other films but this he's this is a early for his early resume this is a heck of a debut for sure Owen Wilson is Father Kent he's Owen Wilson you know and I don't mean that as a bad thing I mean he's Owen Wilson you know what you're getting out of him but that's why he's had such a long career is because you know what he's gonna do and he delivers on it time and time again. And he delivered on it here. I think for the comedic beats, he was the right person to cast in this role. I agree. Like all of my favorite comedy lines come from Kent. Yeah. No, he's a scene stealer. Absolute criminal. (laughs) (laughs) Tiffany Haddish plays Harriet. um, And I I actually really liked this character a lot. Um, I thought she did a good job with it. I loved the kind of aura that she gave her. I thought that this casting was incredible. She's one that grows on me more and more every time that I watch it, Um, especially striking that balance between are you for real or is it just because you don't believe in yourself? Because even there's things that I noticed where she talks about her three sisters, but there's another point where she says that she doesn't have a family. And I also thought that that's where they were heading with like they're all a bunch of sort of lost souls where they're they're going to be this chosen family. So I don't know whether what she's saying is true or not, but I like that they keep you guessing on her. Yeah. Um, I'm not usually a fan of Tiffany Haddish uh, in a lot of other films I've seen her in, but she she really sticks the landing here. I really liked her. Danny DeVito's royalty. Oh, yeah. You know, I for the character, it works. Like, I could somebody else have played this character? Yes. Could somebody have played this character better? No, I think that Danny DeVito's delivery, uh, the self-deprecation that he brings to the table, like everything that he did here was brilliant. Yeah, and I don't know that anybody else could have pulled off that raincoat. <laughs> but like, that's it for me. It's it's the hibachi scene. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, there, he was he was just phenomenal. I love I, you know, I love him in it. I love that he's the mansion geek in the film who's just excited. That makes me like relate to him on a level. And just the way he's able to cut the tension, especially when Lakeith is talking about his wife, you know, well, she was going to the bone orchard. Like, like it was just ridiculous. But I love it. I love him so much. What was her cholesterol? Yeah. What's her- and I'm glad pizza? <laughs> I'm glad that they played that moment where Lakeith starts to laugh through the tears and goes, thanks, I needed that. Because when we saw it the first time, I thought to myself, this is just more inappropriate, awkward comedy where it's not necessary in a moment because you're just trying to be awkward. But it was so well done um, that it made so much sense. Like It ends up being hysterical. No, that's that... where I buy them most as the chosen yeah. family is that scene. Yeah, the, and that's I, I I talked about this I think in in my review when I when I did it on TikTok that that moment right there is completely what encapsulates the mansion and it's that fear of death and the fear of loss and all that grief and then right then there's that switch where it's like we can laugh through it we can work together and it, we don't have to be so afraid and that moment right there I think is what perfectly encapsulates the mansion the film. Uh, and just uh, it just took it to a whole nother level for me when I saw that in theaters. Jamie Lee Curtis as Madame Leota. Um, I thought that she was great. Uh, my one issue, as you pointed out earlier, is that the the accent does come and go. 
Yeah, but I otherwise, um, I love the look. I, I love how they got her in the crystal. I think that they did an amazing job with that. Probably much better than than they did with Jennifer Tilly. I mean, like Jennifer Tilly's version, it was what it was supposed to be. It was whimsical, but this this had the right look. Um, and I love her wardrobe in life too. I thought that oh. that was really cool. Oh my gosh, not Absolutely. where I was expecting it to go, but it it works. Yeah, no, you're a hundred percent right. It the out the costume work, especially for her, is incredible. Um, uh, you know, I, again, I, I don't mean to sound harsh with her whatsoever. She is, she is royalty, um, especially horror royalty. Yes. So it's, I'm, I'm all for it. Halloween is my favorite of the slasher, you know, franchises. So I'm, I'm all about that. But, um, but yeah, I, I think she does bring a sense of majesty to the character. And I like that take, uh, a little bit more than the, the comedic take, uh, for Leota. Uh, so yeah, I was, I was over the moon when they announced her and, and, you know, accent aside, I am over the moon with, with her performance in the film. And Jared Leto as Hatbox Ghost. Um, I think my, it's, it's not that I have an issue with Jared Leto. It's that because it's a totally CGI character that has a huge filter over the voice, it could have been anybody. Like if you're going to go get Jared Leto, go get Jared Leto to play a role for Jared Leto. I feel like you cast him to say that you had him. I agree. I mean, Disney likes Jared Leto. Obviously, he's going to be in Tron 3, which I'm excited yeah, for. Very true. Um, I really like how they managed to do the duality and show him as the hatbox ghost versus how he looked in life. I really like the portrait. They, I think they nailed mm -hmm. that stoic portrait of him. Um, but I agree with you. You got Jared Leto. He's so talented. You know, he's an Oscar winner. I wanted to see him transform in this role. I wish they would have let him shine through a little bit more. And if you weren't going to show him as far as a visual, I wish they would have let the audio go a little bit more and let him voice act a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, obviously I have my own little fan cast. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think if you're doing an all CG character like that, um, I, I think it would have been cool if you brought in an actual voice actor, uh, to, to do that, bring in, uh, your Jim Cummings or Maurice LaMarche yes. in, into the film. And you could, that could have been, you know, especially we were way too over dependent nowadays on star voice actors i think bringing in these actual voice actors these you know these very talented people for this again where you're not doing anything you know with the with the um uh you know not doing any face acting if it's just a cg character do that or, or even a clancy brown clancy brown would have been great too um but you know that's uh with what we have, except like taking the film as it is, uh, I you know I think he was he was great, very menacing. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I wish we got more of him. Final thoughts on the haunted mansion, Mason. You are our guest. We're going to let you go first. Um, I for me, this is the best mansion outing. Um, I feel this is just so intrinsically connected, not only to the attraction to the whole culture that it comes from. I think it's got a stellar cast, a pretty darn good story. Um, Grimm's, Grimm's just a smidge. It's just a smidge better. Uh, no, um, but ser seriously, it's a great, uh, it's a great story, great 
homage to the attraction. Um, it, it, I think it stands head and shoulders above 2003. Um, and looking at all of the park attractions, I think it's, it's pretty high up there. Um, I don't know if it surpass. I don't, I don't, I, I don't think it can, can surpass the first pirates film. Cause that's just, that's just such a monumental thing in that field. Uh, but it comes pretty darn close for me. Uh, so I, this, this is just an incredibly important film to me. Um, so yeah, it's, it's great. I think the more I watch this film, the more I enjoy this film. I'm glad that, um, that I was able to get more out of it. And, and I said, when we saw it the first time, I feel like the more I watch it, the more I'll take out of it. And that's exactly what it was. Um, it's definite. I mean, it is head and shoulders above uh, the O3 version. Is it better than the Muppets version? I I just love the Muppets, and, and so maybe there's a bit of a bias in there, right? But I love that that kind of Muppety humor, and I think for that <laughs> for well, I guess for that version of of a comedy around Haunted Mansion, like it just makes a lot of sense. Um, not without its warts, um, but. But I think that this definitely redeemed itself for me. It's something that I'm going to look forward to going back and revisiting. And I'm glad that I gave this one another chance. Was it better than Barbieheimer? No. Um, <laughs> it, I mean, those, those films are really a cut above, you know. But, but uh, I think that it, this did face the impossible task. I, I think that they probably, when they found out that those movies were coming out, I think they should have pushed the release to this closer to the fall. I know that that would have pushed them up against other releases, but I think that this would have done better getting closer to Halloween. But I'm glad we gave it a, a second go. Yeah, prior to this week, I would have said that Muppets Haunted Mansion was the best one, but after like really taking this in and really fully digesting it, uh, this is the best Haunted Mansion. Um, I would even go so far as to say that as far as films based on attractions... Um, this is probably second to Pirates. Uh, I yes. think I like this better than yeah. Jungle Cruise. You're never going to capture Pirates because that was just such a phenomenon and it's so unbelievably well done. But um, this is close. And Justin Simeon gave us the Haunted Mansion that we deserved after 20 years. And I like that he also sort of leaves the door open because he did paint such a rich tapestry with this one. I think that we can if they were to do more films in this world, because of the way that he utilized New Orleans, there's a million routes that you could take because we didn't get our Constance backstory necessarily. I think you could possibly do a prequel or you could do the Gracie prequel. I think that there's a lot that they can do with it. Um, and should they choose to do it, I just hope they don't overdo it. But I wouldn't mind actually seeing more from this world and, and from this franchise. So to piggyback on that, imagine uh, kind of the end of the film. They're all getting, they're all having their little party and stuff. But uh, um, Lakeith goes, "Hey, Travis, Travis, come here." He said, "Yeah, hey, uh, I, I got it today." And he shows a ring, and he's like, oh, "Really?" He says, "Yeah, uh, we're going on a vacation." And he pulls out a brochure, Thunder Mesa, Arizona. Oh my God. That would be incredible. And then have the whole thing. My my thought is if if they are if they're if it's about make the whole thing about families changing over time, because it's also Travis is getting the, used to the idea of him being a dad. Because if they you know if they're getting together like they are at the end of the film, 
Family's changing over time. He stays at the Louisiana mansion and has to have like a like a party, like bring friends from school. He has to host a party, and the ghosts are helping him. But you still have like Leota and stuff, kind of helping drive the plot. And then Gabby and Ben go to the bed and breakfast of Phantom Manor, and then they have the whole story. He's trying to propose the whole theme of the bride. It's just all of that kind of wrapped up in there. Brilliant. That is so brilliant. I love it. And that is why, for so many reasons, we are so happy that you joined us. Mason, thank you very much for joining us on Monoreal Radio. Uh, could you let everybody know where to find you on uh, all the social platforms? Oh, and yeah. Good. Oh, sure. Oh, yeah, of course. So um, you can find me uh, on pretty much everywhere. Instagram, I'm the most active right now. Uh, but I'm on TikTok as Mr. Unofficial CEO. Um, and uh, I, I'm kind of on a hiatus with TikTok right now, just it's just been kind of weird lately, but um, I'll probably be coming back, especially to finish the Disney 100 marathon. Um, but then uh, watch, you can watch, uh, listen to my show, Grim, A Haunted Mansion Fable. Um, it's a series kind of going into the lore, very deep cut stuff on the lore side of the Haunted Mansion. It's its own thing. It's kind of the first three episodes are like a true crime sort of documentary. And then the uh, latest episode is a Christmas special, but it's still a lot of fun. It's a murder mystery. It doesn't, you don't have to wait till December to listen to it again, but uh, you can check that out on Spotify uh, and Apple podcasts and a couple other places, but that's, that's where they're most prominent. Cannot recommend it enough. It is so well written. It is so well produced. Um, even if you're a casual fan of the Haunted Mansion, go listen to Grimm. It's incredible. Like, really, really well done. We are interested in hearing your thoughts on the Haunted Mansion. You can join the conversation on all of the social media platforms at Monoreal Radio, or you can email us monorealradio at gmail.com. News of the Week and a contest winner are coming up, but first, a quick break. News of the Week is proudly sponsored by KMV Travel. KMV Travel is a boutique travel agency that helps families plan personalized vacations and create unforgettable memories on land and at sea. If you've dreamed of setting sail on the Disney fleet, KMV Travel will help you from booking to bon voyage. When you connect with a KMV Travel specialist, they will not only assist you with your cruise package, but they will also help you with your stateroom selection, pre- and post-cruise accommodations, ground transportation, onboard activity reservations, and port activity reservations. Whether you are traveling as a couple, with a family, or a large group, your KMV Travel Advisor will help you customize the perfect cruise itinerary for you. Visit KMV Travel to set sail now. Hey guys, my name is Mike. I listen to Jackie and Sean's podcast every week on my commute into work. So I reached out to Jackie, and she helped me put together the perfect getaway. I did a four-night Disney cruise ship, and she was able to answer every question that I threw at her. She put together the perfect dates and an insurance plan that made the whole experience stress-free. She was able to help me with little tips and tricks, like you can get a Mickey Mouse bar delivered to you any time of the day. And I think that was a mistake, because now I put about 10, 15 pounds on. I'll definitely be using Jackie again in the future. Thanks for everything. So a lot of parks-related news this week. For both the East Coast and the West Coast, which is exciting. Yes, May and Ming Lee have arrived at Disney's California Adventure. The promo that Disney did is so cute and so on brand. I love it. They have uh, Ming setting up the camera and then May jumps in and she's got her panda ears and her tail. Um, so I love how they're portraying this character, that you're getting the best of both. And it, they're playing it up as it's like, She's got the cat ears on like she's trying to like dress cutesy, 
but at the same time, you don't know if she's in the middle of her transition from human to panda. Like, it's just a very smart way to go about it, and in time for Lunar New Year out at Disney. Like, because I feel like you get an announcement that it's one park or the other, and I'm kind of hoping, and we know that they do this, that they like to test things in Disneyland before eventually moving them to Walt Disney World, and I'm kind of hoping that in the future, we do end up getting a similar meet and greet, because I think that this is tailor-made for Epcot. I think that this is the pro- this is a great way. I know they want to put more characters in Epcot. I think that this would be a brilliant way to do it. It wouldn't feel forced. Correct. And especially with the festivals, right? So many of those like late 90s, early 2000s, like a Joey Fatone and friends like comes to the festivals. It's it's so perfectly tailor made for Epcot. You could have Joey covering a four town song once they get to Epcot. That would be very cool. That, That would be like a really nice culmination of everything. Absolutely. And now talking about East Coast Walt Disney World, the uh, resort, resort wide really, is getting ready to celebrate soulfully. Yes, the entire month of February for Black History Month, there's going to be a whole bunch of added experiences. Um, There's going to be a new Tiana pin, which is really pretty. It's her tiara um, and it's got like Mardi Gras colors almost. I love that. Um, So yeah, that's really pretty. Um, they're going to have added experiences at Epcot's Festival of the Arts. Um, they're going to have added experiences um, like the Artistic Expressions Walk at Disney Spring, um, a lot of added food at Disney Springs, um, and some added snacks to celebrate soulfully at the resorts. Yeah, and like we've done this with other festivals before, and when they said like they really do go all out, especially at Disney Springs, like low key. Disney Springs, especially at Jock Lindsay's, right? Like you always get banging food. So I'm actually, I'm very much looking forward to getting back into Springs in the next couple of weeks and sort of weaving our way through and seeing what kind of snacks we can find. Absolutely. All right. Let's talk about a contest winner though. Um, We did this one on social media. Thank you to everybody who entered to win this really great elemental pin. The winner of the elemental pin is Chandler. That was on Facebook. So Chandler, we will be in touch with your shipping information to get your prize pack sent out to you. Thank you all so much uh, for those who entered. We don't have a giveaway this week, but we'll put a pin in that because we have a lot of really great giveaways and we have another great giveaway coming up very, very soon. Thank you all so much for joining us this and every week on Monoreal Radio. Monoreal Radio will always be free, but there are many ways that you can help support the show. Please give us a rating wherever you listen to your podcast. Join the conversation on social media at Monoreal Radio on all major platforms. Share your favorite episodes with family and friends who may them uh, enjoy them. And of course, book your next trip with Jackie. Links to everything can be found at monorealradio.com. We all get one story. Make yours a magical one. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.